Welcome to War Dogs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand, behind-the-scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. Thanks for pressing play. War Docs partnered with the Defense Strategies Institute and had the opportunity to interview several key and influential leaders at the 2023 Operational Medicine Symposium. We discussed the current operational environment and what military medicine is currently doing to improve warfighter health, strength, and survivability, and what needs to happen to prepare for the future. In this episode, you'll learn about the latest innovations and opportunities to advance the practice of medicine in expeditionary environments. Today, we're privileged to welcome Dr. Brian Line, a retired Army Major General and a General Surgeon to the show. Brian, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks. Can you tell us just a little bit about your current position? So right now I'm the Assistant Director for Healthcare Administration at the Defense Health Agency. So basically in charge of running all the military treatment facilities, dental treatment facilities, TRICARE health plan. So anything that involves healthcare delivery, our healthcare organization falls up underneath what we do every day. So we're currently at an operational medicine symposium. Why is this symposium important and why would DHA be interested in being here? You would think that why is it that I'm here in charge of healthcare delivery in garrison healthcare, so interested in operational medicine? Because what we do every single day has got to be able to feed what it is that goes on in operational medicine. We are, and you heard it earlier today, if you were listening to Sergeant Major Sprunger, and to General Cox that our military treatment facilities are our sustainment platforms. They're our training platforms. We're the largest force generation. So having that capability within the military healthcare system, learning what the requirements are, and then getting that opportunity to talk to the vendors and see what it is that they've got to offer us in terms of making ourselves even better. So what are the priorities that DHA has in this realm of operational medicine? So our priorities are making sure that we're able to maintain relevance for our young men and women that are working in our hospital and how it is that we translate what they do every single day in our military treatment facilities into what it is that they're supposed to be prepared for on the battlefields and capturing whether it's KSAs or ICTLs or CMRPs, but how is it that what they're doing in the military treatment facility improves their readiness to go into harm's way. And if we're not doing that, then shame on us, because then we're actually hurting them rather than making them better to take care of casualties on the battlefield of the future. Yeah, and that's always been, for me, you just kind of think of those, there's almost two competing priorities or two similar priorities. One is being an excellent clinician. So me as a urologist, you'd want me at the top of my game doing a robotic prostatectomy. I'm never going to do that on the battlefield, but you also want me to be a combat surgical multiplier. How can we do both? And I think that's going to continue to be a challenge. The more that civilian healthcare moves away from the old big trauma, big surgeries that we used to do. I mean, we're doing everything, almost everything robotically now. We're fixing hernias robotically. We're taking spleens out and doing kidneys all robotically. Yet on the battlefield, at least of now, there is no robot on the battlefield to do that surgery. And so using programs like the American College of Surgeons Asset Plus course, using the American uh, Orthopedic Association's ADAM courses, 
keeping your skills up to the highest level in garrison and then taking those courses to augment that and doing the online training and some of the KSA tests that each one of our professional colleges have done. And then working with our colleges, to be honest with you, American College of Surgeons, the American Urological Society, the American Orthopedic Association, working with them to better standardize how it is that we're going to do this. Because as you know, two thirds of our providers are in Compo 2 and Compo 3 and are working in civilian organizations where it's going to be even more critical to make sure that they get trained. One of the things that is interesting at this meeting is you see a lot of this technology that's just burgeoning out. And back in the day when we were training, we may have done live tissue training on animals. And that's really kind of evolved today to complex simulators. Where do you see that technology fitting into preparing people for battlefield experience? So I see more and more simulation, more and more virtual reality as we move forward. My kids have got gaming consoles at home that immerse them in virtual reality and have haptics so they can feel the vibrations and all the rest of that stuff. Imagine if we took the last 100,000 cases that we have in the Joint Trauma System Registry and used them and built virtual reality platforms out of there that we could train everybody on before they even went into battle. We have that data and using that data, then tying it into simulations, both on-hand simulations and virtual simulations, are going to give you the opportunity to experience it without ever having to actually go through it. And then you can use an immediate after action report to say, hey, here's what was done in the past. Here's what you did and correcting and guiding and training our new people. One of the things that has come up fairly recently, but it's been around for a long time, is this idea of moral injury. And we do training, but till you're there, it's hard to really know what it's going to be like. And looking at what we're talking about here is large-scale combat operations. We haven't done that since Vietnam almost. And so how is DHA, how is military medicine preparing for a new type of war that may have just amazingly crazy numbers of casualties and horrific things? Yeah. We learned a lot of great things on how to take care of patients in Iraq and Afghanistan. And many, many surgeons and medics and everybody learned a lot, but it was a much different combat environment, I think, than large-scale combat operations and what they're seeing in Ukraine, what we could expect to see against the near-peer competitor. Who owns the ethics? And how do we start having those ethical discussions of having surgeons or First responders have to make the decision about who do I save, who do I don't save? Because 10 years ago, when we had an injury in Afghanistan or Iraq, it was often twos or threes. Rarely was it more than about five or six that had now you're going to have to have 50, 100, 150 who get injured all at once. And how do you do that triage? And then how do you deal with those ethical decisions of limited supply? Who gets what? And I think that the Uniformed Services University Ethics Board that they've got there is putting on some really, really great courses. And we have to further expand that. Actually, that's going to be one of my questions that I'm going to ask the team in the audience this afternoon is who owns ethics? Because not only that, but we're going to start using artificial organs and other life extenders and body extenders that previously we haven't done. Right. And who's going to make those ethical decisions 
And when it's better to have that discussion ahead of time in a calm environment rather than at the moment and you're making decisions about who knows what with no basis to be able to do that. So Army medicine, Navy medicine, Air Force medicine been around for a long time. And DHA, Defense Health Agency, is relatively the new kid on the block. Right. What is the message that you would want to get out about what do people don't know about DHA that they should know? And what is DHA doing to provide the best care for those warfighters that need it, as well as the beneficiaries that need it as well? DHA is there as the synthesis of Army medicine, Navy medicine, and Air Force medicine. They all practice great care. They all deliver phenomenal products. They're all responsible for the training and the readiness of the military members that are there. DHA is the synthesis of all of them in terms of healthcare delivery. And we are there in support of Army medicine, in support of Navy medicine, in support of Air Force medicine, in support of Space Force medicine, and in support of the Marine Corps to make sure that they're ready to go and that we're taking care of their families. So it's not a us versus them. It's all of us collectively together to meet the requirements of our future force. And I think it's underappreciated how much that care for the family is when people are in harm's way and having soldiers, sailors, Marines serving, knowing that their family members are being cared for, whether that's in the direct system or the purchase care system, they want to know quality care is happening. Yeah. My first deployment was in 1995 in the Bosnia. And two of my three kids got operated on when I was deployed. And they got operated on by friends of mine in a healthcare system that I fully trusted. And then multiple other deployments and multiple other family injuries and all the rest of that stuff. And I had the opportunity to command the hospital in Fort Carson, Colorado, right at the start of OIF 2003. And the amount of family members that either we operated on or worked within my hospital whose husband or child or loved one was deployed, that critical linkage of what it is that we provide, not just in terms of healthcare, but job security and coordination with everything that goes on on post, that's never going to go away. And that is so critical for the readiness of the individual is making sure that their family is taken care of and they've got a support net when they're deployed. We can't lose track of that. We cannot. No, that is absolutely critical. Yeah. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Brian Lyon on OpMed TV in collaboration with WarDocs podcast. Dr. Lyon, thank you so much for your time. I didn't mention this before, but I had the opportunity to work for Dr. Lyon for a couple of years, and it was a great privilege and excited to see what you're doing now and great things ahead. Great. All right. Thanks so much, Doug. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to War Docs. We sure hope you enjoyed it. War Docs is a nonprofit organization supported by donations from listeners like you. Please follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcasts and rate and review this episode and share the show with your contacts on social media. Find out more information about our show, our guests, and how to become a member of Team War Docs on WarDocsPodcast.com. Thank you for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, War Docs has you covered. Spread the word.